0: Acts chapter ten. Ah, oh, there we are. God has shown me. <laughs> I like this. Sermon. I want you to know. Something. I'm really happy about it. As a matter of fact, I like the, the chapter. I just love what God has been showing me. Not so much about what He's shown me about myself. That I don't like that He see that. But unfortunately, before you get it, I have to live it. And before I can live it, Peter had to go through it. <laughs> so. Uh, Let's turn to chapter 10 before I give you some thoughts on it. Starting in the 23rd verse, and then I will just read a couple of verses from chapter 11, though I'll be preaching out of chapter 11 in a couple of weeks. (coughs) It says 17 there, but we'll be starting in verse 23. Excuse me. (coughs) Speaking of Peter. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they had entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded, all that you have been commanded by the Lord, chapter 11. Verses 13 and 14. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send the Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and your household. Let's pray. Father, like always, we want to thank you for the clarity of your word. We want to thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We want to thank you, Father God, what you're going to do for us right now as we come before you and worship what you've done already in our worships, in our songs, Father God, that honor you, God. But I ask that the power, the presence, and the personality of the living word will be driven deep down within our heart, God, to reveal the recesses of what takes place within Brian Martin. What takes place within any of your saints, Father God? Unravel us, I ask, from the inside out, and then do a fresh work within us. Allow your hands and your word to break us down so it can build us up again into the image of Jesus Christ. For you cannot build upon flesh. Flesh must be destroyed that the Son of God may be glorified in us, Father God. Help us to crucify the flesh. Help us, Father God, to be conformed to the image of your Son, Father God. And remind us what you told Jeremiah the prophet, that your word is a hammer. Come and do your work, God. In Jesus' name, God bless you. He has shown me. Tonight's passage begins to show us how Peter, as I've been speaking for the last three weeks, how he was pondering his personal vision from God. Peter, as he was hungry, fell into a trance, went up to the roof as he was waiting for his lunch. And God visits him in a vision. He was in a trance. And that vision was to eat and kill and eat all these unclean animals that he was forbidden all his life to indulge in. And he was faithful to that. He did not indulge. He was a true Jew. The dietary regulations of the Mosaic law, he held fast all his life. But there was something behind this. There was something that, as the word says last week we spoke about, it perplexed him. This vision perplexed him. It it caught him. He knew there was truth to it, but he just could not rationalize it. How can this be? And as that was going on, guess what happens? Three men show up out of nowhere. Sent from Cornelius, a a Roman centurion who also had a vision of an angel, to send for Peter because Peter had a message for him. And as they spoke, Act 1 was Cornelius, Act 2 was Peter and his vision. Now, Act 3, they're coming together. They're going to meet. Anticipation, expectations and building up for the last four days. Now the three men from Canadian's house walked thirty miles, and what we're gonna see here, Peter, is slowly given a greater vision of just how enormous God's grace is and his intentions for the whole human race. Do you know? We can sing our songs. We can go to our Bible studies. We can quote scripture. But do you not understand that all of us need a greater understanding, a personal? Let God show us just how incredible His grace is towards all humanity. Do you know we still need that? Do you know we get lethargic? Do you know we get indifferent? Do you know we forget and we we think? Religion's all about us and our felt needs and what God's going to do for me and get me to a happy place and everything's going to be good and everything's going to be happy. Did you not hear that we are to be a living sacrifice unto God? Has anybody told you that? Has anybody said be crucified unto Christ? That's the Christian faith. To exalt God. Doesn't when we, we, we worship and it's exalt him, it's like this spontaneous praise, it's right. Exalt him. That's what we're saved for, to exalt him and to adore him and give him adoration. That's what we're created for. There's this depth in humanity that's created to worship God, and anything outside of that is empty. Peter had to grasp that the outpouring of the Spirit of God that confirmed, confirmed the Son of God in his divinity and his saving work at the cross wasn't just exclusively for Israel and the pious Jew. See, Peter had to grasp that God was doing a work outside of Israel without Israel's allowing it. He didn't ask Israel, do you mind if I, if I become the Gentiles God? yeah, but You don't mind, do you? He doesn't ask our approval. He's going to save and he's going to use Christians whether we're on board or not. Going into our message tonight, I want to start first with a little application so it, we, when we're going into the text we can see it a little more clearly. We all need to be shown in a personal way this truth clearly taught in scripture as I just said. We all need to know God's great love. Because if you know it, if you can say, oh Brian, I know that. I'm going to put you on the spot. You can't take the fifth. Do you know it? Be careful. Because if you did, you would tell people. There is no way You can experience the outpouring of love in your heart. And keep it to yourself. You can tremble and shake when you share it. You can stutter. You can have fear of men and fear of rejection. Paul did. Others did. Peter did. But you have to say it. You got to shout it. You have to share it. You just have to. God has opened up our mouth and filled it with good things. I believe as a pastor, this truth is clearly taught in Scripture. And someone who personally, in my own life, who's also working out my salvation and fear and turmoil, I know you think I'm perfect, please that's my wife, I'm far from it, alright? So, let's get, that, let's get that out there right away. We get an amen from one person. That it could take a lot of time between between a particular truth in scripture and that truth working out in our own life practically. I shared a couple of weeks ago about abortion. When I first got saved, me and my wife were like, abortion? That's, who cares? That was my attitude. Who cares? I couldn't see the reality of the sanctity of life. I was like, no, it's, it's a woman's choice. That's, That's the end of the story. And then I saw, by coming closer to Christ and realizing how loved we are by God, and that we're created in his image, and it takes place within the womb, at conception, between a man and a woman, and all of a sudden my eyes went off and I had the aha moment. He had to show me, God has shown me, in this one case and a lot of other cases, that it's life. There's life in there. It's not a fantasy. It's not unreality. It's not a blob. It's, it's a living being. But God was patient with me, and Terry, as we learned that truth. And there are countless other truths that we can know, but before it becomes, before we own it, God wants us to own truth. And I share it many times with the, the creed. We will not apologize for the creed. If you are bored with it, you're bored with God's redemption. If you're tired of it, you're tired of God's plan of redemption. Those truths were purchased by the blood of the martyrs. They're on there for us to say and to rec- not to recite, but to own it as weapons of our warfare. It's truth. Peter is on his way to finally owning the truth. Something Jesus has already told him. Jesus told him and the other apostles, I have sheep not of this fold. He still did not grasp it. God supernaturally spoke to him in a vision. God supernaturally shows shows us in the vision of his word. And then patiently works in all of us till we personally own it. You know what it means to personally own a truth? Are you sure? Do you want to know? The only person ever to quote scripture at Satan and win is who? Christ. That's it. You know why? He owned it. He owned it. And that's when it becomes a weapon. And then when I was taking karate as a young student, I was doing okay to throw 10 and 15 decent punches or kicks. But in a time of pressure, guess what? It'd do me nothing. You don't own it, and it's not a personal weapon, until you've used it tens of thousands of times. And have used it over and over and over in training. And in competition, that's when you own something so that you can use it at your availability in a time of pressure when there is no one else is there and your life is on the line and you use it. guess what? That's when you own it. And that's how it is with truth. Satan will knock on your door until you go to scripture and he finally says, it's the truth. This person owns the truth. And God will work in you and God will work in me until I can finally say, This creed is the truth. This word is the truth. Peter had to learn that God is the God of the Gentiles and not just of the Jew. And that's what this whole story about in chapter 10 and chapter 11 is. Peter had to learn this lesson, we'll find it out in two weeks. God shows no partiality. Wherever men fear him and honor him in all the world, God saves. Peter's on his way to owning this. But make no mistake about it, God wants you and I to own all truth. Not just to repeat it, and not just to hear it, I think I read somewhere else. I think I read another man say, "Help me out." Something like, I forget. Don't just be hearers of the word. What's the rest of the scripture? Doers of the word. Oh my goodness. Let's go to what text. Verse 24, on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and his close families, his close friends. After a first night of fellowship with these non-Jews, these three Jewish men, these three Gentiles that came for Cornelius, they they searched after Peter, they found Peter, Peter invites him in the house, they tell Peter of the dream and the vision, Peter would have told them of his dream and his uh, vision, they enter in the house, they're going to journey the next day, understand something, this is the first time in Peter's life he's ever sitting down with a Gentile and eating. He's almost 30 years old. It's the first time. Never mind just to sit down. Do you remember in the fourth chapter of John when they were thirsty and they were hungry? And they went into the town of Samaria to buy some goods and what was Jesus doing? He was by a well doing what? He was with the Samaritan woman. Do you remember what they said? He's with a Samaritan woman. It was like, could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he be the Christ we're waiting for? Could it be God's anointing? He's eating, he's talking to a Samaritan. And now Peter, for the first time, is actually inviting them into his house. He's fellowshipping with them. Why? It was in the Word. He saw his Savior do it. He had to have a personal encounter with God to break down the prejudices in his heart. The first time. Think about it. This is the first time. I remember the first time. I I was so grateful I got saved in a church of many different ethnicities. Not that I was an overly prejudiced guy, but I was. came from a very prejudiced family. You know how fast God broke that down when you're saved? How fast that broke down it was great, Latinos, I'm glad we were like worshipers. God, I loved them With my brothers and my sisters, I loved them I told you the first time I got introduced to Christianity, Did I ever tell you this I came home one day it was about 8 o'clock at night, I opened up the door it was Kimmy's baptism party at my house, isn't that nice everybody was invited but who me you think you would have let me in on it I opened up the door and the guy says hallelujah, praise God Willie. Willie Cole. I love Willie Cole. He's the blackest man I've ever seen in the world. He's got the biggest white teeth I've ever seen, and even black man. The biggest smile. Genuine. He's like, come on in, he don't even know who I am. I walked in, got my pool cue, and I said, I'm gonna go to the pool room, I'll be back. I have a couple choice words to tell you later on. But that didn't scare God away from my heart. And He saved me. And Willie Cole was my friend. And everybody else in that church was my friend. And I loved them. And they loved me. And we still love one another. See, God does that. But I had to have a no experience with God. At the first night of fellowship with these non-Jews, Peter must have been more than just curious. These Jews come. I mean, the Gentiles come. He's not just they're sitting in some kind of awkward uh, fellowship around dinner that night. There's a genuine now... God's breaking down the walls. He's doing it quickly. God breaks down the walls in our life. And all of a sudden, he's getting associated with these Gentiles. He's spending time with them. He's spending a full night with them. He sensed that God was in this, but really had no idea of what was really going to transpire. Please understand, when we read chapter 10, we read it from a perspective. We're saved. We understand these truths. We read chapter 10, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and we walk away into chapter 11. You're missing You're missing the Bible. You have to take a step back and view it as it's an ongoing plan of redemption. You have to see act by act. You have to see how incredible God is, working through the hardness of the hearts of his own people. You have to see what's transpiring. This is absolutely majestic. It is absolutely wonderful. Peter, for the first time in his entire life, is sitting down with a non-Jew in fellowship and fellowshiping with him. It is no small thing. It took God, had to give him a vision in a trance and tell him three times the same thing, to kill and eat. He has no idea what's going to take place when he walks into Canelius' house. They get up the next day, they march, they spend the night somewhere, they march into Caesarea on the fourth day, and Luke mentions the city for a reason. But has bigger implications. This was a pagan city. This was brand new for Peter. It's not just brand new that Peter was fellowshipping with non-Jews. That he was eating with non-Jews. That he invited non-Jews into his house. He's now entering for the first time most likely in his entire life a pagan city. And he's going to find out is God in this place? Is God really here? All he knows is the temple. Then the Son of God came. Then the Son of God was resurrected. Then the Son of God was ascended. Then the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And God did miraculous and great things within the Jewish community. Now Peter had to have a broader vision of who God is and what God's doing and the promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now he's going into this pagan city. And God is going to do something absolutely extraordinary. Extraordinary. That when you go home and read it, you'll find out in the middle of his preaching the Holy Spirit falls. He enters Cornelius' house. Another first to Peter. A lot of first for this man. And there he finds many people. Cornelius was a man of influence and he used it wisely. His genuine concern for others was brought about by his genuine concern and love for the God of Israel. It was recognized by his closest family and friends that this leader was something different something else led him the world has to know that we're just not leaders that now we're just different they have to realize what makes us different Cornelius was not ashamed to worship the God of Israel he wasn't ashamed to let people know who he was so when the proper time came all he had to do was get on his little cell phone and say hey get over here, there's a party going to take place. All he had to do was give the word and people came because he's a man of integrity and he was a man of his word. Please, unless you're a man, and a person of influence and you influence with integrity and honesty and compassion and genuine concern for your fellow man, you can know of something great. Guess what? People aren't going to listen. This says a lot about Cornelius. He used his influence wisely. His friends and family, his closest one, recognized that he's zealous for something. Something's going on over here. They knew him, and they knew him well, and they responded to his invite. And he says here, expected. We've expected you. I gathered my friends. I gathered my family, my close relatives. We've expected something from you. They were expecting them. It means to be anxiously waiting for something. Some kind of promise, something was heard. And now we're expecting, we're anxiously all here together in one state of mind, of heart, anticipatory of what you're going to tell us. God was even preparing those who had not received the vision. They didn't have a vision. They didn't have an angelic vision. All they had was a Cornelius in their life. And Cornelius had the vision. Cornelius knew the truth. And Cornelius turned them on to who God was. They didn't have a vision. But they were touched by the one who did have the vision. Please, what's taking place in a very short period, a very condensed couple of days, really should happen in our life over the course of our life. What a word picture we have here. Think about this. These anxious expectations were birthed through Cornelius' faith, a faith that said that I had a vision of a man named Peter, who's really called Simon, who's in the house of another guy called Simon, he's a tanner, he's by the sea, oh yeah, sure, Cornelius, but they were waiting, they believed in the vision. please don't miss this. Cornelius is not saying, hey, do me a favor. I think I, I think I heard God say something to me and get everybody together. I sent three men to go together. You guys, you know, Jews going to come here and tell us about something? No. This man said it with a deep passion, a deep concern for humanity, and he said it with a deep faith. How come we, we whisper Jesus as though I hope and believe? Do you know that? Christians speak about Jesus as they're really not sure if he's God or not. No, I'm that serious. We got to be careful. We got to check our faith. If I'm representing Christ, am I representing Him who rose from the dead? Am I representing Him has all authority given to Him by God? Or Do I represent Him who says I can cast into heaven or hell? Or am I trusting in Him who has the keys to the kingdom? Am I trusting him who can do all things through me? Do I go to people and say, speak to you about Jesus? Expecting to be slapped around? Let me tell you something. We have to stand up and say to me, can I share my faith with you? That's the way to do it. Don't whisper Christ. Stand up and say, can I share my faith with you? It's not politically correct, but pray not politically correct. God's into saving souls. And if you're going to try to please men, you're going to save no soul. You don't have to be arrogant. But please don't whisper the name of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the name of Christ. Listen to this. There's this expectation. What a word picture. This anxious expectation is filling the hearts of people because of one man's faith. One man's faith. One man's faith. The whole family, the friends are all there because of one man's faith. And But listen to it. What's not seen is not found out until chapter 11, so I'm going to give it to you now. Listen to chapter 11, 13, and 14. I need this. Tell me when it's there. There? Yeah. listen Peter's reiterating it this story weeks later listen and he told us Cornelius Peter said and Cornelius told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say send the Jophar and bring Simon who's called Peter He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. When Cornelius told his family and his heart was filled with expectation, he believed the message that whatever Peter was going to carry was going to save him and save his family. Are you willing to look like a fool? Are you willing to look like you're a nut for the sake of the salvation of our friends and our family? Are you willing to be ridiculed? Are you willing to be mocked one decade after another decade after another decade because you think you had a vision You when you tell somebody, I've been born again. I was blind, but now I see. Are you willing to go toe-to-toe with the culture for 10 generations? I ask you a question. Are we willing to be ridiculed for the experience we had with the risen Christ? I'm going to tell you now. It's what it's going to take. When the angel told them, send for Peter, he has the message of life. For salvation for you and your family. That was it. There was no other matter. How come? Let me put it another way. Do you know if we get indifferent in our personal walk with God, we'll get indifferent to the souls around us? There's a direct correlation to my zeal for God and the salvation God uses me for. Make no mistake about it. The sleeping saint will bring nobody to Christ. one. Your best wishes aren't going to do it. We need to stand up. We need to proclaim our faith. Especially in a time like this, where the grace sin, grace is far exceedingly more. And here he is. Cornelius is filled with this expectation about this message, about a certain Peter that he's going to be saved and his household is going to be saved. So he runs around and in a couple of days he gets the whole family there and they're all together and they're all in the room. This is a revival setting. Don't you know that true gospel preaching studs the souls for others? True gospel preaching... And true hearing the gospel with gospel ears stirs our heart for the souls of others. Cornelius knew this. In verse 25 says this And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet, and he worshiped Peter. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. The picture is one of heightened expectation. This Cornelius is at the, he's sitting at the edge of a seat. He's so excited to hear what Peter had to say, what God was going to do. He broke down in adoration, but only it was misplaced. Don't miss it. He wasn't worshiping as God. Peter takes his opportunity to correct some bad understanding about who he is. And let me give you some application right now. No matter who the preacher is, no matter who the worship leader is, no matter who the band is, no matter who's selling the most books, no matter who's selling out the auditoriums, remember this, they're just a man. Amen. Don't ever get caught up in a personality cult. They're so good, they're so great, they're so this, they're so not. I'm telling you now, if... It's not pointing to God, something's wrong. Don't give to men wrong praise. Peter quickly corrects this misguided mistake. It was his zeal that did that. Can I take a moment and give some more application? Ministers have to be extremely careful of misusing the youthful zeal of a brand new Christian. Be careful. You can tell a brand new Christian to do anything. Guess what? They probably do. Because they love God so much and they don't have understanding yet. They don't have discernment yet. And they actually think you're the messenger of God. How do you think Satan got Adam and Eve to eat? Did you ever think about that? I have. And I came across a great theologian that gave me the answer that I think was the answer. You see, Satan exploited their love for God. Adam and Eve loved God. Loved God. So he exploited that love and saying, but he's holding back something from you. That if you eat, you're going to be like him. You see, they wanted to be like God. So they didn't know the process of they didn't need sanctification. They would have been glorified, but it would have been like God. But they chose to eat. Be careful of how much praise you give any man. Any man. Politician, preacher, anybody. Verse 28 says. 29. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, in the vision, that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see, the aha moment went off. Remember he was perplexed? Remember he pondered the vision? And all of a sudden these three cats show up out of nowhere... And now he's putting two of the two together. And he's walking it out. And now he comes into Cornelius' house. Cornelius falls, falls down and worships. And Peter says, get up, I'm just a man. He takes him into this, out of the vestibule into this big room. And there are these hungry faces for God. And Peter has his aha moment. Now I understand the vision. How dare I call any human being common or basically unworthy? Of God's grace. He gives a disclaimer. The Gentile fully understood. That Jews (coughs) never ate. With non-believers. Let me tell you something. What the Jewish nation did. What the law of Moses did. It quarantined. The Jew. From every other nation. It did a good job. When Peter gives the disclaimer, he says this. You know that I cannot eat or fellowship with anyone from another nation. He says, you know this. You understand this. But God has shown me That's the whole crux of the message. That's why I title it, God has shown me. Shown means to point out personally that God personally gave attention to Peter and explained to him the plan of redemption. God has shown me is no small thing. God personally took the time To teach his apostle the fuller implications of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That it was not just for the Jew. It was for the whole world. God has shown me. That's Peter's aha moment. And now I know. Now I fully understand that Jesus, my Savior, has sheep not of this fold, that he really came to die for all the world. Now Peter's mind is going back to Abraham, and now Peter's mind is going back to the early promises of redemption through Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be saved. Now the whole thing's getting big for Peter. He's out of his own little world. He's out of his own little life, and now we can see the gospel for all the nations. Do you not know we need to get out of our personal little lives so God can use us in a bigger, grander way. Do you know that? This was a personal bringing to light by God. All the prophets pointed to it in the Old Testament. Every prophet. Going back to Abraham. All the nations of the world would be blessed. Peter should have known this. He grew up in Hebrew school. This, is, this, is his, this was his manner. This is what he feasted on. But this is one of the cruxes of the Jewish religion. You see, the fine print of their own scriptures could not prepare them for the redeeming event of the world. They could not prepare them. And this is why. Not because the promises of God are inherently wrong or impossible. had nothing to do with that. But the human heart needs to be regenerated. It needs to be changed. And even after it's changed, it needs to be shown. Is God still showing you as he's showing me? Is God still teaching to you and explaining to you? Has anybody ever seen, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, that God had to show me. That I, When it comes to the new ages, I'm like, did they wear me down? They wear me down with they believe in Jesus, they believe in Buddha, they believe in reincarnation, they believe in the stones, they believe in the clouds, they believe in the trees, they believe in this, they believe in everything. And it's like sometimes and when I re- met that woman in the hospital, I was like, she started giving me that, and I was like, alright, 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 praise God. And I turned away and God says, you tell her about my son. You tell her about the forgiveness of the real Jesus, not the other Jesuses that the Bible says. Paul says, you have heard of another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. She heard about another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And I was there to tell her about the real Jesus, but I couldn't because God had to personally show me that no matter how many times I've been rejected by other people of the same genre, you got to keep going. How dare me think anybody common or unworthy. Could you imagine taking the judgments of God upon ourselves? As we're going to stand there and judge people? Please, understand the Old Testament's promise was there but the power to believe and act upon it was not until the coming of the Holy Spirit. Christian religion without the Spirit can only inform but it cannot change fundamentally from sinners is who they really are. I can go on and on and on. I'll say, I'm going to go into some application. Show me. There are divine truths we need to both objectively know When we go to Bible study on Monday, when we go to Bible study on Sunday afternoon, when we come to church on Sunday, when we do a lesson on Thursday, when we go to a woman's group on Saturdays, and you're learning objective, spiritual, divine revelation and truth, it can take a long time before we own it. How patient we have to be. And there are certain times and certain truths that God has to personally come into our lives and do something drastic so that we get the attention. We need and will have, from God's grace, personal encounters with God over certain weaknesses. Has anybody ever had a personal encounter with God over their own weakness? I just shared about that one in the hospital. Peter had this, others will have it. It's God's grace. And how we need it in the church today, as a pastor, we need to know that it's not just about every ethnicity, it's not just about every culture, every socio-economic diversity, every class. You are called to carry a message to every different personality type. It is not about well, you know, they're not my type of person. God's not asking you if you like their personality. As a matter of fact, he doesn't care about what you think of their personality. And I shared with you you the last week and the week before I was talking to somebody about the Nazan. That's not who I am. I mean, that's who you used to be, but that's not who you are now. You're a Christian. You don't say something like that's not who I am. If you are saying that's not who I am, then maybe you're not who the Bible says you're supposed to be. Maybe the problem is that in you, you're not saved. You don't callously say that's not who I am. We are called to go to every personality. Influences. Where where, where are we? Where could you call yourself on the social spectrum? Where are you in your personal life? Are you a boss? Are you a parent? Are you a grandparent? Are you a representative? Do you have a position, a place of prominence in the social, economic working class of society? Do people call you boss? Do people call you coach? Do people call you teacher? That's a sphere of influence, like Cornelius. How are we using our sphere of influence? Do you know It belongs to God. Do you know whatever influence you have is God given? Do you know when you look back that God put you and me in a place of prominence, whatever it might be, so that we can make a difference in other people's life, that we can carry the name of Christ, be ridiculed most of the time. But those other times, God's going to save people through the way we influence other people. It's all for the glory of God. I know it's getting late. I can go on. I got more notes over here. Father, I love you. I thank you. Your word says it all, Father God. We thank you that Peter, your apostle, had to learn so many lessons, but he did learn it. As you gave him aha moments in his life, you showed him that what you call... Worthy is truly worthy, Father God. It's as simple as that, Father God. And I pray for everyone in this room that you break down every preconceived idea we came in here. That you take the word and you beat us down every preconceived prejudice of who we think other people are because we think we're so high and we're so mighty and that other people are beyond your redemption. I pray, Father God, to break down the classes. I pray that... We see nothing but through the prism of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father God, that in your eyes you show no partiality in Christ's name.